Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. We're going to get started in prayer. So let's pray. Father, thanks for a, a time and a place, an opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We've come to hear from you. We ask that we would have ears to hear. We'd have open hearts, open minds to receive what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives. We ask God for revelation tonight. We pray for understanding. We ask God that you'd apply your word into our hearts, into our lives. I pray God for from our innermost being, uh, rivers of living water would begin to rise up. And I pray God that as we receive of you, that your Holy Spirit would pour not only in us, but also through us and out of us. And I pray, Father, that we'd be a blessing to you tonight and a blessing to one another. We give you thanks. We ask God you have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And as a quick reminder, if you'd like to participate in our Bible study but can't be physically here, uh, you're listening to it on a podcast, we do have a feature that you can participate either by asking a question or leaving a comment. It's through a website, www.speakpipe.com. Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Uh, when you go to that webpage, there's a button there that can be toggled, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail message. And it gets to us, and we'd be happy to play that and answer it. Or if it's a comment, listen to it, and thank you for sharing it. So if you'd like to participate, I encourage you to do so. That is available. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Who would like to read that for us? All right, thanks for reading that. You have here Paul speaking. If you look back into Acts 13, at the beginning of Acts 13, uh, the church at Antioch, uh, the church had commissioned Saul, Paul, and Barnabas to go forth and to preach and to be apostles and to do apostle-type stuff. And so they began to travel, and they went from city to city. And they'd arrived in this city. They'd gone to the synagogue. And Paul was speaking in the synagogue here, and this is part of his sermon. And so as he's speaking, uh, interestingly, he, uh, in a lot of places where he would go, he would go to the synagogue first, and he would speak to them, and he would share from the scriptures concerning Jesus from the Old Testament. In other words, he took the scriptures that the people of the synagogue would understand and know, and he applied them to Jesus. He applied them to the Messiah. He applied them to the Savior. And so in doing so, he was bringing not only an argument their way, but more importantly, something they could relate to and something that they could identify with and possibly come into faith for. So that's what he was doing. So in Acts 13 here, verse 22, he's speaking, and so he's telling a story about David. He's telling a story about Saul. And if you know the story of Saul and David, you know what happened there. Saul was, according to these verses, removed from being king. Uh, Saul had been chosen as king. Uh, The people had demanded a king. If you know the whole story, Israel was not ruled by kings. They were ruled by judges. And the prophets still had a really big role in the, the life of Israel at that time. So Samuel was a prophet 
he was also a judge, and he had been uh, doing his best to rule over Israel. The people demanded a king, so they came to Samuel. They said, we want to be like all the other countries around us. We want a king, and so they made, they made Saul king. Uh, he had all the physical characteristics to be king. He was head and shoulders taller above anybody else, and and so like Patrick over here, and uh, and so they said, well, he's got the physical attributes, and he was good looking, he was uh, tall, and all the rest of those kind of things, and seemed like he'd make a good king. Turned out he didn't, and uh, he was he was removed from being king. He was rejected, and the reason that he was rejected is that he didn't keep the Lord's command. It was, it was a simple issue. And here's why that makes sense. This is what I want you to understand about it. Israel, uh, under a king, was a theocracy. A theocracy meaning that God really ruled over the nation. The king, in theory, was someone who heard from God, someone who heard what God wanted, would seek God, find out God's will, God's purpose, God's plan, whatever, and he would implement that into the nation. That was his job. And so he was an intermediate, he was kind of that intermediate, intermediary between God and between the nation as the physical ruler. So there he was. That was his job. Well, he failed at that because God gave him words. God told him what he was supposed to do, and he refused to do it. He rebelled. Uh, you know the story of Amalek, and that was a big issue with Amalek. God told him, I want you to kill every animal in this town, every man, woman, child, and animal, and all the rest of that stuff, and he just refused to do it. And so he rebelled against God, he disobeyed God, and so his reign, his, his rulership did not endure. It, it could not endure. Because a theocracy only works if the person who is in between God and the people is following after what God says. No, I said Saul did. But Saul knew what he was supposed to do. So whether he heard it through the mouth of the prophet or it was a direct word, you think about who Saul is, it was still the word of God. All right. So, so however we hear the word, and that's a good lesson, however we hear the word, we read it, we hear it, it's prophesied, it comes from a trusted source, in other words, or, or some other way that God reveals it, it could be a still small voice in prayer. It's going to agree with the, whatever God's word is. It's going to agree. It's still God's word. And so it carries that weight. And so whether or not we heard it from a booming voice from heaven, or we read it, or it was revealed by the Holy Spirit, or a person came up and they prophesied it to us, but someone we know and trust and all that, there's no excuse, really, and that, that's kind of a, a point that's being made, even with Saul here, is that he was responsible to do what God had told him to do. And when Samuel found out that he didn't do that, God spoke to him, and he went, and that was really the end. I mean, that was really the end right there. And so, whatever was going to happen with Saul from that point on, it was done.
I, I don't know the order, but I think he had already gone to Jesse before that. I could be wrong about that. I can look that up. I don't remember. I, I didn't even think to look that up beforehand. Correct. But it was clear, it was clear that Saul, and I believe this to be the case, it was clear that there was going to be a different king. That there was a man after God's own heart that God had chosen, which wasn't Saul. <laughs> right, right. There was something wrong with him from the start. There was a flaw in him from the start that was obvious. And David, even, and you think about David and Goliath, because David was inserted into the story, uh, David and Goliath. Because Saul, he had he'd come before Saul as a boy. And he said, I want, I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of this. And Saul tried to give him his armor to go out, but it was unwieldy. He couldn't even put it on. But I mean, if you follow the story, I mean, David's already... Right, and David's already in the story right there. And he goes out and he defeats Goliath as a boy. So, so for however, I don't remember the order again, and I, I'll look it up, but however the order was, David was in the story. That, that he had come off the farm. He went back to the farm, back to the tenant of sheep and all that, but, but he had come off the farm, why? To bring his brother's food. That's the only reason he was there. Because he was considered a boy. He wasn't old enough to fight yet. But there he was in the middle of the story. So, so Saul was removed. He was rejected. And it's simply, simply because he, he could not keep God's command. Right. Well, we don't know what would have happened if he'd have went to kill every man, woman, and child. He told Abraham to go and kill his son. And Abraham went to kill his son, but then he stopped him right before. We don't know. You know, I don't. That was a that was a test that God gave Abraham. Said, "Okay, is he going to follow me or not? He's going to do what I tell him to do or not?" So I don't. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that with Abraham. That was a turning point in Abraham's life and in his relationship with God that I will trust you regardless and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And, and God, God's covenant was strengthened in Abraham through that and through his descendants too. So Saul, though, wasn't even willing to, to go there. And so, uh, and, and really, what was at the heart of that decision wasn't compassion on Saul's part. It was the greed of the army. It was the greed of the people that were under his command because they saw all this good stuff there. It's like, why should we kill this? We should take all this stuff, divide it up, and take it home. It was their greed that said, we don't want to do this. Rather than compassion. Yeah. You understand what I mean? And so the greed ruled the day. And that was the, kind of the issue there, is that the greed ruled the day, and for Saul... Fear ruled the day because he wanted to please the people. 
And that's a form of fear, wanting to please everybody. I want people to like me. I'm afraid people won't like me, so I'm going to do what I have to do so they're going to like me. So they don't want to kill all these animals. They want to, or, or whatever it was, they, they want to leave all this so they can take it all home. Well, then I'll let them do that because I want them to like me. That's fear. It's rebellion, yeah. That's what they did. Right, and they took it. So it wasn't about having mercy on the town. No. Right. It was greed. And then, and then Saul even left the king alive. After that. So, so it really just went right up the chain there. There was a series of bad decisions that led to. He's done. And again, why is this important? The reason this is important is because of who he was. It's not like he was just an individual that was living his life and had no effect on anyone else. He was the king. And he was that mediator. He was that in-between between God and the nation. And so he was representing the nation. He was making decisions on behalf of the nation. Which you look at that and you say, well, you know, he got, that was it? Yeah, that was it. A theocracy only works if people hear, if the king hears from God and does what he says. That's the only way it works. And if he can't do that, then it can't work. And he can't be king. And that was it. That was the end of it. And that makes sense. So, so that was the end of Saul. And then you have David. And, and it says that, that God made David king. In other words, there's something about David. There was something about his heart. There was something about who he was. There was something about the call that was on his life. There was something about his response to God. There was all these things going on. Something about David where God made him king. And, and I think that's an interesting way to put it. You see, there's a witness here. God's witness about David. And that's just pretty powerful. What does God think about David? What's his witness about David? In other words, God's called to the stand. Okay, God. You're going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you, you. Tell me about David. He's the witness. Okay, you see what I'm saying? He's the witness. This is what God thinks. This is how God sees David. And so if he's called to the stand, he's like, well, who's David? Describe him to me. This is how God saw him. This is what God thought about him. And there's something really powerful about understanding God's heart. Not only toward David, but really, I want you to understand, and I've been trying to lay this into you the last, I don't know how many months, understand how God sees you. What's God's witness toward you? And, and that's important for you to understand and for you to take hold of. That's why over the last few months we've been talking about that identity that we have. It's how we want to see ourselves, right. But why do we see ourselves that way? Because it's the truth, because that's how God sees us. And once we get a hold of that, once we get a hold of how God sees us, we understand, well, He's the witness now. So, so the devil comes to accuse me. Well, let, sorry, let me call my witness. I have a star witness. 
I'm going to call God himself. Here's my witness. And let him take care of that. And I'm not going to live under that accusation. And I'm not going to live under, under that, that uh, judgment of the devil. Under the shame that he wants me to live under. I'm not going to do it. I just won't. Because I have a star witness on my behalf that can clear this up right away. And so I'm going to call on that star witness whenever I get the accusations coming my way. I'm going to call on the star witness whenever I get those judgments coming my way, when that shame is thrown my way, when all that other kind of bad guilt is thrown my way. I'm going to call my star witness. God, what do you think about me? I can live in that. So we have an example of this here as God is witness to David. This is what God thought, and this is about David. And, and it goes from David to the son of David. Just like it goes from the son of David to us. By the son of David, I mean his seed. I mean one that would come after him, Jesus. And so, and so his witness goes from David to Jesus and from Jesus to us. And just kind of think about that for a second, because that's a little weird in our brains. But I want you to think about that for a second. And so David would be the that David would have a promised seed, someone that would come from him, that his kingdom would never end, that there would always be this promised seed on the throne, and that his kingdom would go on forever and forever. Well, that's talking about Jesus, a Savior, a Messiah. And you think David? Here's the witness about David. He went from being a keeper of sheep to the throne. That's where he went. And if you know anything about Jesse, it's kind of interesting, he says, he talks about David, the son of Jesse, bringing Jesse into this. You know where Jesse was from? Anybody? Hometown? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Right. That does make sense. And so from the city of David, unto us a child is born. Do You see, we're going from David to the seed of David to us. Right, that's how this flows. That's how this rolls. God is witness. And God took this guy out of nowhere. God took this guy out of a field, the back 40. He wasn't even asked to come out to an interview for the job. Samuel came, show me your sons. He didn't even bring him out. Jesse didn't. Wasn't even under consideration. Wasn't even a thought in Jesse's mind. And so the human mind didn't even think about it. He's the dad. He's the father. He didn't even think about it. And Samuel looked them all over. He's like, there's got to be somebody else. You don't have any other sons? Because none of them are ringing a bell. None of them. And he's like, oh yeah, there's David. He's out in the back 40 with the sheep. Oh, let me get him. And he's the one. See, God's wit that's God's witness. Obscurity. Not the human choice. Not the one anybody else thinks can do it. Not the one that anybody even knows about or, or even thinks of or remembers. You understand that, that we, we look at ourselves and we think insignificant. Well, great. What's God's witness? Not our, not even our witness. God's witness. Not our dad's witness. God's witness. Not our mom's witness. God's witness. And nothing wrong with mom and dad. I'm just saying, 
they they got a view of us, and 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 maybe it's good, right, and everything else, or maybe it's short sighted. Who knows? I'm not faulting Jesse for not knowing. He looked at, at David. He's my youngest. He's little. He's out in the field tending sheep. I'm not faulting him for that. Human eyes would look at that and say, "Not the next king." And we look at our kids. It's like, yeah, this kid can't even make his bed. How's he gonna ever do anything? He ends up president of the United States or something. You know, who knows? We don't know. That's why we had to have God's witness. We've got to have God's witness about ourselves. We've got to have God's witness about who He says that we are. So the heart of God was set on David by his choice. David didn't do anything yet for God's heart to be set on it. It just was. I mean, do you understand that? David hadn't done anything yet. When he, you know, the, the prophet came, he anointed him, and whatever. I mean, really. He was, a, he was, a, he was young. He was the keeper of sheep. He was out in the country, and he's going to be the king. See, that's not the heart of man that figures that out. That's not the mind of man that figures that out. That's God. And that's God setting his heart on somebody. And and before David was a man after God's own heart, God has set his heart on him. He said, I, this is him. Howard, did you want to say something? God didn't see him as a boy. He didn't see him as a man. He saw him as a man. He didn't see him as a man after his own heart. Right. But everybody else saw him as a boy. Right? Now, what's interesting about David too, and, and why he's such a this is such a great story, is that David was flawed, and and it didn't matter that David was flawed. He just it, it's who he was, and so even as a flawed person, and you think about it, somebody was making up a story, they wouldn't probably put that in there, would they? Like uh, who David was and some of the things that he did. They probably would have left that out or, you know, history's kind like that to the people who are the, the writers of history, the victors, the people who are the ones who, who actually win. History's kind to them because they, they kind of control what people know or see. And yet we have this story of David as a great leader. We have this story of David as anointed king, David as a worshiper, David as, as, as someone who who poured out his heart, David, and all these things, and yet in the middle of that story, David is flawed. David committed murder. And he's a, he's a flawed person. And yet God's heart was still set on him. And, and I want you never to forget that. That we're all flawed. And part of the point of Having the story, the beautiful story of David, is that he was flawed. And God's heart was set on him. And as you look at David, as Paul was preaching this sermon, looking at David, 
and to Jesus and to us. All through that story, you see a beautiful love. You really do. And God's heart being set on Him, but then on us too. The flaws, everything else. The failures, the successes, all of it. His heart is set on us. And so David was a man dear to God's heart. He was beloved, (laughs) meaning he was favored. And God took that word, again, it's a it's a fuller picture of just being beloved. It was the the fuller picture is having taking great delight in. God took great delight in him. And so even though his faults, his sins, his offenses, all of those things, all of those things, he took great delight in him. And I want to encourage you to to let God show you his heart that way toward you. Really, to let him bear witness toward you that way. With all of your faults and your sins and your offenses, that he can still take great delight in you. And he does. Let that become a part of your identity. Let that become a part of how you see yourself in God's eyes. That, that's part of God's witness toward us, is that we're, we have faults and we have sins and we're offensive sometimes, and yet he takes great delight in us. That's his witness. So that, and like I was saying, when the devil comes to accuse you, you got to call God to the stand and straighten it up. When you start feeling shame because of one of those faults or those sins or those offenses, and, and you call God to the stand and let him clear it up. Part of Jesus' work is that if we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just, He forgives and He cleanses. So no, no part of that is, and then the devil continues to beat you up for six months. No part of that. There's a cleansing and there's a forgiveness and there's a new beginning in that. And, and God comes to the witness stand and and he'll tell him just right to his face, I take delight in this one. I'm going to look at a couple of verses uh, that speak to what Paul is preaching here. Because uh, what he says in that verse is kind of a conglomeration of a couple of different verses. And so I want to look at those. Psalm 89.20. Someone read that for us. Psalm 89.20. Alright, thanks for reading that. So I like the word found. And again, you have a little story in that word. And the little story in that word is the idea of really seeking for something and then finding it. Of really, it has both that side of it, of the seeking side to be sought after and then the finding side. So I found David, my servant, and I anointed him with my sacred oil. 
And what do you think he's talking about there? You think that's when Samuel showed up and anointed him, or you think God's saying something else here? Or both? Or before he was born, you know. He knows us before we're born. So, he sought, he found, and he anointed. And and you think about Samuel anointing him. But like a lot of things in Christianity, I mean, like baptism, for example. I think baptism is important for us to go through. I do, but it's representative of something. It's representative of being buried with him, being raised in newness of life. There's... There's something that goes on there. But for anybody that's being baptized, that that process should have already happened, right? Are we thinking about the representative process of the Lord's Supper? You think about a lot of the things that we do are representative. They're outward representations of inward things. And so when I I read this and I see this where it says, I sought him, I found him, and I anointed him. Yeah, he was anointed by Samuel on the outside. But I think that anointing had taken place. I think he was already, his heart was changed. He was somebody that God had already found. And it was a surprise to everybody but God and possibly David. And I don't really know what David thought. But his older brothers, they... You know, they might have thought whatever they wanted to think. His father might have thought whatever he wanted to think. The people around there could have thought whatever they wanted to think. Didn't matter. This was something that God was giving testimony. I was saying, this is the one. This is who I choose. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. Somebody look at that. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Okay, so you see the similarity between Psalm eighty nine twenty, first Samuel thirteen fourteen, and what Paul was preaching in Acts at that synagogue. And that's what you're looking at here. And in, in, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, again, the Lord sought him out. And he found him. And, and he was a man after his own heart. But that also gives the reason why Saul was rejected, right? Again, there's no doubt about it. The reason Saul was rejected is because of his disobedience and his rebellion. So Paul keeps going in his sermon there and, and he keeps preaching at synagogue and he said this, and this was the witness of God toward David, says he will do everything, everything I want him to do. And that was God's testimony about David. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, let's break that down a little bit. He will do, in other words, the will of God. And the great rule of David's reign when he was king. Again, he was not perfect. Again, he was a flawed 
person. Again, he made mistakes. Again, he committed capital murder. But the great rule of his reign as king is to to do the will of God. And he wasn't perfect. And he got called out when he wasn't perfect. And he got told when he sinned. And his sin cost him something. And, and that was just a part of his life. That was a part of how God spoke to him and dealt with him. But in the life of the nation, as that intermediary, as that, that mediator, the rule of his reign that he followed was, I'm going to do God's will. And so God's heart toward him was that he will do everything. Now what kind of word is everything? It's an absolute word. There's, there's, no, there's no exceptions to it. It's an absolute word. He will do everything according to God's heart. If he suffers, he suffers. If he prospers, he prospers. If he is victorious, he's victorious. If he's in defeat, he's in defeat. But he's going to live according to God's heart. Powerful. In general, David was as God would have him to be. And this is a this is kind of a weird point for us. But he was as God would have him to be. In general. Again, he wasn't perfect. Neither are we. Again, he had sin. So do we. He had faults. So do we. He had offenses. So do we. He had killed tens of thousands of people in battle. Most of us, none of us have done that. He committed capital murder. I don't believe any of us have done that. That we know of. Maybe Dave's mom, but I'm not sure about her whole history. (laughs) That's why I'm being careful here. (laughs) But I don't think we have. And so you think about what do we do to people that that murder people? We put them in prison, right? For 20 years? 20 to life? We don't tolerate them even in society. But David did that. And so... As you, as you consider who he was, and, and you consider the fact that God would say this about him, he will do everything I want him to do. Meaning, in general, he was as God would have him to be. Why are you so hard on yourself? Why? Why are we so hard on ourselves when, in fact, you look at someone like David, who we have to look through David to see Jesus, and through Jesus to see ourselves, this is in direct line with God's heart toward us, why are we so hard on ourselves?
right? I think we're tough on ourselves, most of us. I mean, the fact you're sitting here at Bible study tonight would indicate to me that you have an awareness of who you are, an awareness of God. You, you have a desire somewhere in you to hear Him, live for Him, and and function within the kingdom. I, I think we got that, but I think because of that, and I, I can see who we are. I think we're a little. I think that we're probably more hard on ourselves than we ever should be. And I'm just talking about on ourselves. Then you start adding in the accuser of the brethren to that. And then you got a real issue going on because your bad idea is being backed up by the accuser of the brethren and you're feeling even worse about it. And if you have the wrong friends, they may be speaking that into your life too. And so you're getting all this, this, this negative, all these thoughts in your brain, all the, you know, somebody's saying something to you, you got the accuser of the brethren heaping it on, and the shame, and all the rest of that stuff that comes with it. It's easy to get just knocked down, isn't it? When in fact, as we were just saying, God loves us. God is our witness on our behalf. And we need to call on Him more often. Even to witness against our own thoughts. To witness against our own judgments of ourselves. We need to call God to the witness stand. And, and I, I pray that His witness will trump your judgment. I pray that. I pray His witness will trump the devil's accusations. I pray that. I pray His witness is stronger and will trump any person that has come into our life to bring that kind of condemnation on us. The Bible goes pretty harsh on this. There is now therefore no condemnation. No condemnation. Another absolute word. No condemnation. And so if we're living under that, we need to call God as the witness. Again, David generally was as God would have him to be. Despite his flaws, his sins, his failures, and everything that he did. I'd love to have that witness in my life. Alright? And you know what the distinguishing characteristic of David was? Really? He was a man after God's own heart. How did he show that? He did what God told him to do. I mean, I, I, I guess it could make it more complicated, but really, you come right down to it. The thing that distinguishes Saul and David is Saul wouldn't do what God wanted him to do. David would. The thing that distinguished Abraham and the covenant that Abraham walked under was that he would do what God wanted him to do. The thing that distinguished, you read Hebrews chapter 11, those that were walking in faith, the thing that distinguished them from the people of their day is they did what God told them to do. What distinguished Noah from the people of his day? He built a boat when there would never been any rain. That's what that's, that's distinguished him. He followed the instructions that he had and he did what he was told to do. I know we like it more complicated than that, but it's not really I mean, David was a worshiper. David loved God. And there was all the rest that was going on there. And I, I do believe that's important. But the distinguishing characteristic of being after God's own heart is that he would just do what God told him to do. 
And that kind of a life is going to reflect, and I don't know how to say this any other way, but it puts us in a lot better position with God. When He calls, we call God. God, you're my witness. What's going on? Such a good position to be in. I'm sinful. I'm a failure. I've messed up. There's faults in my life. I've been offensive in my life. Yeah, I love you. My heart is set toward you. You're who I've called you to be. Hey. Uh, I, I was thinking about David. You know, Satan would try to accuse him too. Yeah, right. And he, he's able to. Yeah. No, you're, you're ready. Not even literally his fault right it was literally his fault that child died that was the result of his sin that was a direct result of his sin he knew it he knew it going into it but you're right the child died it was his fault but he went right to the house of god and began to worship then he went from the house of god to his family and he comforted them he took care of one thing at a time and then he went and he took care of business. Keeping his mind and his eyes on God. Right. Doesn't give the accuser a Well, right. I mean, you, you want to stay in the presence of the, the witness. Alright? And God's bearing witness. My heart is set on you. I love you. And so we want to put ourselves in his presence. We want to put ourselves under that witness. Because when we're not under that witness, that we're vulnerable to other opinions. Which, everybody's got an opinion, right? devil definitely has an opinion because he wants to destroy us. And he is the accuser of the brethren. It's his job. He does it like it's his job. Because it is his job. That's what he does. And so, if we're going to give him audience, I'm not saying we should, if we're going to, he's going to accuse us. we got to stay with the witness whose heart set on us and who loves us and not give him an audience. And when other people start heaping that on us, we don't need to give them an audience either. Yeah. Or whatever, man. I, you know, there's just certain relationships I just don't foster. There's people in my life that are going to speak over me certain things. There was a guy I was emailing. He uh, used to come here. And he left to go do something else, which people do all the time. Started emailing me, and so I was emailing him back, friend, all friendly. And then one email I get from him, he's like just accusing, 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 and accusing. 
right? And so I wrote back, just saying I'm surprised. Um, thought we were dialoguing. I thought things were good. Wrote me back, accusing, 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 accusing. That's a block. That's a block. I'm going to find myself in the presence of the witness whose heart is set on me and who loves me. And that's where I'm going to live. And I will live there. So David was generally as God would have him to be. He wasn't rebellious. And he wasn't worried about what people thought, really. He wasn't disobedient like Saul. He wasn't afraid. And so that set him free to just be who he was. And God loved that. And if you think about it, if God's heart is set on you and he loves you, then you need to be you. And this is a point I want to get at right here. Is you don't want to be who everybody else wants you to be. You just want to be you. And here's a little mistake that people make in their thinking. They think, well, I'll be who God wants me to be. Well, sort of. He already loves you. And his heart is set on you already. And he loves you right now. Does that mean you can't change or grow? Well, sure you can. I hope so. I had a chemistry teacher in high school. The day you don't learn something new is the day you die. That's what she used to say. She looked just like Yoda, too, somehow. She, she, was an old lady. she was an old lady the whole time I ever saw her. I ever knew her. And then I saw her like years later. I was back at my high school, and she looked exactly the same years later. Still looked like Yoda. She didn't talk like Yoda, but she looked like Yoda. But she would say that. She said, if you don't know, so you die. And so I, it always stuck in my head. And because we're in a, that constant space that we, we have opportunity to change, we have the opportunity to grow. Great. But, but really, God, God's heart was set on you before. God's heart was set on me when I wasn't even looking at Him. God's heart was set on me, and He loved me before I, I, I even knew what was going on. And I was just living for myself or whatever it was, and I grew up kind of doing my own thing. His heart was set on me already. And He was loving me already. For me to think that somehow I've got to perform some weird changeover that is going to make Him love me more or something is ridiculous. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no man than this than He... Lay down his life for his friends. I mean, you start going through this, like, what greater love is he going to show you than dying for you? And he did that while you were still a sinner. You follow follow the train of thought here? Okay. So, his heart's on you, he's loving you, to think you have to be somebody else is kind of telling him he's wrong. Don't do that. Don't ever tell God he's wrong. Because he's right. You might think he's wrong. But he's right. And so you can't, you can't really tell him he's wrong. I mean, you can tell him. Then you're just wrong. But you don't need to do that. We need to find a place in our life where we can trust him enough to know that he's right. 
And so if He loves you and His heart's set on you, don't pretend to be anybody else. And don't, don't change yourself to please another person or, or please a group of people that you want to fit in with. God loves you now. God loves you now and who you are. That's why His heart's set on you. So, um, David, here's some things he did right. You ready? I'll give you a few things David did right. I already said he wasn't rebellious and he wasn't disobedient like Saul was. Here's some other stuff he did. He maintained the worship of God in Israel, in Judah. He maintained the worship of God. In other words, he prioritized the worship of God. He provided for the worship of God. And he modeled the worship of God. He was a worshiper. That he danced before the Lord. He was someone who worshipped freely before the Lord. He was someone that other people could see worshipping before the Lord. He encouraged worship. And he maintained that in the, in the land as king. He wasn't afraid of looking undignified. He wasn't afraid of people thinking of judging him because he was dancing in an ephod or anything else. He just worshipped. And he made sure the opportunities for worship were there. He made sure that people knew and they could worship. So that's something he did. I'll tell you something else David did is that he opposed idolatry. In other words, anything, anything, Anything that raised up in that nation that would take away from God, he opposed it. And he struck it down. Not having it. Not having it. Not having the alternatives. Not having that other thing that, that maybe they want to do. Not having any of that. Not, not tolerating it. Tolerant. Tolerant. Not tolerant. Not of idolatry. Not of that thing that's rising itself up, raising itself up against God or the knowledge of God. No, not going to do it. So he had a zeal. A zeal is God alone. And that's it. And not tolerant of the rest. Not going to do it. Another thing he did is that he promoted obedience. He modeled it. He spoke of it. And he lived it. So again, you, you look at him and you can say, oh, and we love to look at David and say, well, he messed up or he was flawed and all the rest. Wow, he, he really, <laughs> we should aspire to have that kind of an attitude like he did. To see himself the way he saw himself, we should aspire to see ourselves. To understand God's heart toward him, we should aspire to that. To let God be witness over our lives like He did, we should really see that happening in us. That should be something we want. Because all the things He did, it was the bottom line was God's heart was set on Him and He loved Him. And, and I, I want to encourage you tonight to not be so hard on yourself. I want to encourage you tonight to be not just such a, a detail stickler. Right? And I mean that. Because what we're looking at is we're looking at God as witness. And I am not going to argue with him in court. I'm not going to cross-examine him. I'm not going to make him defend his point. I'm going to accept what he says is truth. 
And so let's live in that. Let's take a moment to pray. David's by far one of my favorite people. When I was uh, first here in Syracuse, I was given a book. It was about this thick by A.W. Pink. It's called The Life of David. And A.W. Pink, he's a big dispensationalist, and I probably sitting in a room would get in an argument with him in about five minutes, but it was a great book. It really was. And uh, he... Yeah, he lived a long time ago, so whatever. But it just it just took the scriptures about David and went up one side and down the other, the scriptures about him. And like I said, it was, it's literally that thick of just David. And uh, after reading that, I really felt like I just had such a, a, a bigger picture understanding of who he was. Although I can't remember exactly when he was anointed king, I had a bigger picture understanding of who he was, for sure, in context of the whole Bible. And he is a central figure. Make no mistake about it. So let's learn something from him tonight. Father, I pray that we can see ourselves as we look at David to Jesus to us. Right down that line, I pray that we that the lens would sharpen as we look down that line of our Father's heart, of Him taking delight. That the things He said about David were things that He then said about Jesus and are now things that He says about us. And I just want to say thanks for that. God, I want to say thank you for taking delight in us. I want to say thank you for loving us. I want to say thank you for setting your heart upon us. I want to say thank you, God, for for pouring out a love that we can't even contain. I want to say thanks for that. And so, God, tonight I pray over us that, firstly, we would stop being so hard on ourselves. We'd stop beating ourselves up, but we begin to call on you as witness, starting here and now. Witness of our life. Witness of your heart toward us. Witness of your love toward us and in us. That God would be able to shut down whatever voices there are in our own heads and in our own minds about failure and about all the things that we beat ourselves up for. And let you speak to that. And let you settle that. God, I pray that you'd also quiet the voice of the enemy. You'd quiet the accuser of the brethren that would seek to just speak and chirp in our ears all day and all night if he could. God, I pray you would silence him. I pray the witness, the the God witness would rise up and would silence the accuser in Jesus' name. God, tonight I pray that we can find a peace and a rest in in your acceptance and in your love. We can find a peace and a rest in, in, in how you see us and the witness you give over our lives. God, I pray that we can find a place of real love 
real love in your presence. In the work that you're doing in us, I ask God that you would stamp out rebellion in us and you would stamp out disobedience. And with that and all that's associated with it, the fear and the selfishness and the lies and the control, just really begin to stamp that out, God. Because we just want to live for you. And that's going to help us live for you even more. Yeah, thanks for loving us. Thanks for setting your heart toward us. Pray, God, we can appropriately respond to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. amen.